is precisely what happens in Genesis. We find that that's the first couple. And God gives them a command. It's mentioned in our scripture passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Does anyone know what that command is from chapter 2 of Genesis? Be fruitful and multiply. But right before that is the most important part. And the two shall become one flesh. And the two shall become one flesh. So it always takes two. And here's what lust does, y'all. And this is our kind of main point about lust. It's our main point about one plus zero equals zero. Here it is. Sex is sinful to the degree that instead of drawing you closer to other human beings in their humanness, it unites bodies but leaves the lives inside them hungrier and more alone than before. That's from Frederick Buchner. But it's definitely in our scriptures this morning. God said it's not good for us to be alone. And yet somehow, when the sin of pride entered in chapter 3 of Genesis, pride, remember, is at the root of all the other vices. When pride enters in, the, the serpent comes to Eve and Adam in their weakness and says, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Translation? You can now try to find your joy, your pleasure, and your happiness selfishly. That is the underlining point to that pride. And it's the same underlying pride that enters into the sin of lust. I am going to meet my sexual needs. I'm going to meet these desires that God has given me. And I'm going to do it in any way that I see fit. I'm going to take... I'm going to get what I want and I'm going to do it without necessarily loving another human being. That's that part about one plus zero equals zero. Lust then, if you want a definition, is trying to find joy and pleasure without love. Paul puts it this way in our passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, The body is not meant for selfish pleasure, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. It's all about meaning, he says. There is a meaning to the fact that God made us sexual beings. We were created this way. It's good. It's right. He knew what he was doing. He meant it. (laughs) He meant for us to be sexual beings. It's not something dirty. We don't have to hide it. Here we are as a sermon in the church. We can actually preach on this stuff without being afraid somehow it's weird or that we should, we should deny ourselves or suppress all of these feelings. No way. No way. It's a God-given gift. But the reality is our pride and our selfishness would have us twist it and would have us use it for our own joy, our own pleasure, without actually loving another person. That's when it gets disordered and when it gets ugly. And this is Paul's point when he brings up prostitution. He says, Paul is acknowledging, look, in our passage in in 1 Corinthians 6, you're probably going to get actual joy and actual pleasure from the hookup with the prostitute. He's not denying that. He doesn't say that. He says, but you're losing the meaning of your sexuality by doing that because you're paying another human being to meet 
your sexual needs, your sexual pleasure. And when you pay someone to do something, it's not very relational, is it? It's not real loving, is it? Because they're doing it out of some sort of obligation or some other reason, but it's not, generally speaking, out of love. And so that's why he gives us this illustration here of sexual immorality with prostitution. There are many other examples he got have gone on to. I'm not going to go into them this morning. But that's the one that he chose to use to explain to us that you are going to lose the meaning of your sexual drive, your sexual desires, if you choose to go one plus zero. If you choose to selfishly meet this desire without loving another human being. So the idea is this, y'all. Paul, and because he's writing the word of God, God, are saying these things for our protection. It is not so many people accuse the church of being prudish, of being like, y'all are just trying to squelch all the fun people are trying to have. Absolutely not. Absolutely, that is not the case. At least in this passage, what Paul's saying. He's saying, your bodies were meant for something. If you subvert that meaning, he's like, I promise you, you will end up lonelier. If you decide that you are going to meet all of your sexual drives, your sexual desires in a way that doesn't love another person, that is just body meeting body in the middle of the night, you will then be lonelier in the morning than you were the night before. He's saying, y'all, this is protection. This is protection. You see, and some of us know this from personal experience, Seeking the joy and pleasure of sex in a selfish way also only stokes the hunger. Not only is there a sense of loneliness that follows, but the hunger, it, we talk about addiction. Many people use that term when it comes to sexual sin or sexual immorality. It's something that you've got to keep getting more of to try to get the same pleasure and the same joy that you had before. That's the nature of how God created this thing to be within us. Again, Paul is saying these things for our protection. It's about love. Let me summarize this first point. I know this is heavy-duty stuff. And, y'all, I don't stand up here as the paragon of, you know, virtue. Please. I'm a weak human being just like everyone else in here. So don't, take, don't think of it in that way. But here's a summary of this first point about one plus zero equals zero. Lust is a vice then because it does not honor the fullness of sex. And it alienates people from each other just when they are supposed to be experiencing intimate union. There is a betrayal of meaning in lust's use of sex for nothing but self-gratification. And it is difficult to be lustful without feeling that loss at some level. If one is successful in becoming immune to the goods involved in sex... One has also been successful in becoming less fully human. In a nutshell, lust is the excessive desire for my own sexual pleasure. It's defined in terms of physical pleasure stemming from physical acts. Sexual intercourse requires a body and so does sexual desire. The key to understanding lust as a vice, however, is seeing that what we do physically is intimately linked to spiritual effects. This is that point that Paul is making when he says, the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this is a picture of our union with God. Never forget that. There's a spiritual component. As, again, as Frederick Buechner puts it, 
adultery, promiscuity, either heterosexual or homosexual, one appealing view is that anything goes as long as no one gets hurt. The trouble is that human beings are so hopelessly psychosomatic in composition that whatever happens to the soma, the body, happens also to the psyche, the soul, and vice versa. We can't escape that. When we say things like, oh, it's, just, it's not really harming anyone, the reality is we harm ourselves. We can harm our own hearts, our own psyche through the sin of lust. But y'all, we must not ever forget as we dive into this, God's grace and God's love. Okay? That's going to be the overarching theme as we conclude today. That's a tough first point. One plus zero equals zero. Paul has described it to us through prostitution. But let's move to the next thing that Paul talks about in our passage from 1 Corinthians 6. He talks about one plus one equals one. It's described in the Hebrew Bible very early on in Genesis as the one flesh henosis. This idea that two people can come together in intimate sexual union and remain one. It's hard, y'all. Let's just call spade a spade. That's a mystery, and I'm not <laughs> unpacking it, sorry, for you totally here this morning. There's just no way. This is a deep mystery. The Bible's full of them. If you want more information on that, I'm going to let you go look that up. I have resources. But let's just talk for a minute about what Paul is getting at. He is getting at the fact that God gave us this as a picture of something. It has meaning for us. And the meaning is this. It's like God's little preview slideshow of what's coming. He's saying, look, I am the Trinity. I am the ultimate example of unity in diversity. He's like, the greatest pleasure there could be, the greatest joy there could be, is this type of union. It's exquisite. It's ecstasy. And he's like, I'm going to give you a little preview of it, a little slideshow of it, what it's like to be connected. I'm connected, Holy Spirit, Son and Father, we're connected in this way. And now I'm going to give you a preview because you're an embodied soul of what that is like. Wow, it's going to blow your mind. It's incredible. The one flesh. What a gift, y'all. It is a gift that it's like this for us. That when we get with another person in this intimate way, that there is a oneness that occurs through two coming together. Wow. Everybody's face doesn't seem, everybody's like sad looking. Like, that's incredible. That's a miracle. I know, probably your face is like mine because we've, we've messed with it, haven't we? We often mess with it, don't we? But y'all, I'll just say this about the one plus one equals one. And we'll move on. We'll move on to the like happy ending. Um, love and life are at stake with this whole thing, this whole lust thing, this whole um, sex thing. And as I mentioned earlier in our service, my heart literally breaks for our culture and its view of sex. There's so much confusion out there on the television, in the movies we watch, and the books we read. Because at the same time in our culture, as I mentioned, it is worshipped as a god, as an idol, we would call it, because we worship the one true God, as something that will bring ultimate happiness and fulfillment. And at the same time, It's talked about as a trivial animal urge. So what in the world is it? Which is it? You hear the songs on the radio crooning about your body is a wonderland. 
and how this is the most exquisite pleasure life could ever give me. Dave Matthews has one that's called, he's a local guy. I don't know if you knew that. He has one that's called Crash. I don't know if you ever heard that song, but it's kind of the same idea. It's this, it's painting sex to be this thing that is like magical, that is, that is a god unto itself, that should be treated with the utmost respect. But at the same time, we try to blind ourselves to the consequences of treating it as everything and as nothing. Imagine how confused teenagers are in our society, y'all. They're like, what is it? Is it just something that's like, just kind of a throwaway little thing, that hook up on the weekends? Or is it like this thing that is going to revolutionize my life and give me real meaning? What, which is it? And the Bible's like, it's neither. <laughs> but because our society is teaching these things, and y'all, we imbibe them, there's a lot of confusion, and there's a lot of depression going around about this particular area of the human life. It's an area of our lives. And I want to circle back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in that passage. Because what Paul says in this passage is that it's meant to show us the connection between Christ and his people. Between God and his people. It is a picture. It has actual meaning. He talks about it also in Ephesians chapter 5. And here's the way Paul describes it in that passage. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There it is again, the one flesh henosis. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul's saying it's not something to be treated flippantly. It's not something to throw around. And it is a picture of Christ and his church. Whoa. Cool. That means it's a picture of Christ and us. His church. It's a picture of the joy, the pleasure, and the ecstasy of being united with Jesus Christ. Wow. That's what God has in store for us. And there's a passage that gets at this really well from Jesus' teaching. There's this part of his teaching in Romans, uh, sorry, not Romans, not even close. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, chapters 5 through 7 is Jesus' magnum opus called the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts it out by talking about these things called the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes truly gets at the meaning of human sexuality. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because that's what Jesus is pushing to. That's what the Bible is pushing to. This idea of purity. I'm going to read a passage from this guy who describes it way better than me. Okay? His name's Peter Kreeft. And he's written a lot of books. He has this one called, it's, it's the um, Back to Virtue, it's called. And here's how he describes it. It's better than what I could come up with. The greatest reward of all is to see God. That is joy. The fulfillment of everyone's deepest desire, whether they know it or not. This is eternal life. To know thee. Just to know. 
For this knowing is not just abstract doctrine, but concrete experience. It satisfies not curiosity, but love. It's the kind of knowledge husband and wife have of each other. Adam knew his wife Eve, and the product was not a book, but a baby. When they had known good and evil, the product was not a sermon on ethics, but spiritual divorce from God and death. This knowing is literally a matter of life or death. We are promised the great and inconceivable gift to see God face to face as he is, just as Enoch, Moses, and Job did. It is the beatific vision, the spiritual marriage, something no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. This is home. It is what we were made for, our pearl of great price, our one thing necessary. If we only knew, we would eagerly sacrifice anything and everything in the world for this. This beatitude answers two questions. What is our ultimate end? And what is the means to that end? Seeing God is our end, our home. What is the means, the way? I am the way, says Jesus. But in the beatitude, purity of heart is the way. Is there a contradiction here? No. For Jesus is our purity of heart. First, Jesus alone gives purity of heart, for purity of heart simply cannot be attained by fallen human nature. The physician cannot heal himself. The leopard cannot change its spots. Purity of heart is a divine attribute and can be attained only by divine power, divine grace, Christ. Second, Jesus not only gives purity of heart, but Jesus is our purity of heart. God has made him to be our righteousness. God does not dispense grace like pills. He is grace. God's solution to our problems is not to send down a spiritual jack-of-all-trades, a fix-it man to patch our leaks and put little gifts under our tree. Grace is not like little sparks of electricity spun off from the divine dynamo into millions of receiving sets. Rather, God puts us into Christ, incorporates us into the new race, the mystical body of Christ. There, grace comes not from without, but from within. There, grace is nature. God's single solution to all our problems is Jesus Christ. We attain purity of heart not merely by the imitation of Christ, but by the incorporation into Christ. The Christ who was our perfect purity of heart. The Christ whose only will is to do the will of the Father. Wow. What a thought. And that's what Paul's getting at in that passage in 1 Corinthians 6. We, through faith, are actually incorporated into Christ. Here's what's so cool about it. We get sucked up into the final equation. One plus one plus one equals one. We are invited into the insane joy, the unexplainable joy and love of the Trinity is ours as we get incorporated into Christ. We join in that great feast that is for all time. Y'all, the reason the Bible says God is love is because of the Trinity. He is love within himself. There is a union of three in one. We join in that union. And y'all, sexual desire is meant to unify us within our human being body in love so that we can get a foretaste of what it's going to be like in heaven. And y'all, hear me out. I'm a married man. It isn't all ecstasy all the time. Okay? There, we live in a broken world. Sin still taints everything that we do. Pride is still at work. But the reality is that, it, that the sexual desire we have has meaning, 
that lust twists and distorts that, and that love is the answer. Love is the answer. Practical advice. I thought, ah, I'll throw in a little, little freebie at the end. The best advice for resisting lust, I mean, don't hear me wrong. Getting an internet filter is a great idea, okay? But the best advice is to have good friends. That's it. If we have genuine friendships in which we learn to give and receive love in a healthy and satisfying way, we'll be less inclined, we still be inclined, but we will be less inclined to wander off looking for sham substitutes and quick fixes. This is why you can be single and still have satisfying love unions with people that don't necessarily involve the body, perhaps yet. Good good friendships teach us how to respect one another, to offer appropriate physical affection, to appreciate and care for others without looking for something in return, to trust one another. Someone who knows what real love looks like, whether in a sexual relationship or not, is a person who is less tempted to find lustful pleasures a tempting option. If your relationships with others and with God adequately feed your need to love and be loved, you will both see through and despise what lust has to offer. Aquinas describes our... uh, Thomas Aquinas, famous dude, church dude, describes our relationship to God as the love of friendship. To overcome lust, we need to be anchored in this love. And we have it. We have it in spades. That's what that passage I just read uh, from uh, Peter Kreef was talking about. We already have the love in Christ. It's a matter if, we want to, if we're going to, going to appropriate it or not. Or if we'll ignore it because, man, my drives today are just feeling really strong. And I will choose to ignore the love that has been promised me so that I can go and chase after one plus zero. But the end result, and we've all been there, the end result is zero. Loneliness. More so than when we ever began our search. I I implore you, Christ Central, I implore you, I urge you, seek relationships of healthy love so that we can together combat this tool of Satan that would have us literally crush the meaning for how God created us as sexual beings, spiritual but also physical. And y'all, I know how hard it is. Again, we're going to need to do a lot of confession and forgiveness along the path. But we got to stay on the path together. Let's pray. Lord God, I don't know. I don't know. This, this, it's bigger than me. This, this, this thing, Lord, I just pray that you would use your word. First Corinthians, the one flesh gnosis. Lord, I pray that it would, it would move in people's hearts here this morning, Lord. I don't have all the answers, but you do. Your word does. And so we trust, Father, that you would bring us closer and closer to your truth and to your heart through your word. Lord, we all know and feel the loss of meaning for sex in our society. Lord, it is the most confusing thing ever. Protect us, Lord. 
We need Your protection, Lord. And I pray that this morning, that no matter where each person in this room is at, when it comes to love and when it comes to lust, I pray that this morning they would freshly experience the love of Christ. That You would pour down Your love upon us here in this room as we come to Your table. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, well, I'll let the kiddos come in. Hoo-wee! All right. If you have questions, comments, I'm going to give you a fake number to call, okay? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please do call me, email me. I would be happy to talk through more. If you are currently struggling, I'd love to talk. We will, it's all about friendship, y'all. It's about, it's about getting through this together. This thing we call life. But y'all, this table, it's just too easy this morning. As DJ loves to say, it's too easy. Our meal this morning, as we come to Christ, is too easy. This is the supreme picture from Scriptures, from the Bible, of Jesus saying to people, saying to us, saying to His church, saying to His disciples, union. This is union. This is a picture I want you to keep on celebrating for the rest of time. Because what you're going to see here, well, let me put it the way Jesus did. He said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And his point was, your unity with me is as though you were eating something or drinking something. That's how close we're going to be. You know how that thing goes into your stomach and just becomes incorporated into your body? That's what it's like with me. I'm going to incorporate you up into the body of myself, of love, of the Trinity. It's what, it's, it's what you have to look forward to. Now and forevermore. And y'all, we would ask that if you have not made Jesus your Lord, he said, he said don't treat this flippantly. Just like we talked about with sexual desire, y'all. Don't treat it flippantly. That's what Jesus said about this, this meal. He's like, don't just pretend like it's a, a meal you're eating at your house or something like that. This is a picture of what I've done for you. And so we'd ask if you have not received Christ, that you would take this time to pray and to reflect and to think about His chasing of all of us. But if you have, then receive and remember the union, the communion you have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and with one another. I'll go on this side over here. Hey, brother. How you doing, man? How you doing?